it will basically fly itself to that as long as the auto throttles respond when needed. And that apparently is where one of the big questions has come up on this is the lack of uh, engine response from the uh, expectation that power would adjust itself to keep the airplane at 137 knots. The pilot in command of Asiana Flight 214 uh, told investigators that he assumed the aircraft's auto throttles were engaged and maintaining a speed of 137 knots um, as the as the VREF speed. The aircraft's speed dropped to just 103 knots at the time of impact. Yikes. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Clear. But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack yeah. Hodgson, coming to you from exotic Epping, New Hampshire. And I'm here with my two good friends. Uh, Dave Higgins there. He's out from in Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? I'm doing I'm doing great. Did is this really happening? I don't know. Time will tell. We got an hour. Don't jinx it, David. Uh, we'll yeah. talk, <laughs> some people may not know what that's about. We'll talk about that in a second. But uh, has it hit a hundred yet today, David? Not today. Yeah, no, not today. Uh, in the last week, yeah. Uh, in the last month, uh, yeah, 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 and yeah. Yeah, I know. What was it again? Last summer, you had some insane consecutive number of hundred degree days or something like that. We did, and I, I may have successfully eradicated the warmth okay. of that memory from my mind. Okay. I don't remember. Sorry, I won't bring it back up again. But uh, <laughs> this is shaping up to be another one of those summers. So uh, we'll, we'll. Well, uh, next time somebody complains to you about the the heat, uh, how much they hate winter, and they can't wait for summer to get here, remind them that it's much easier to dress up for winter than it is to dress down to be comfortable in the summer, because there are laws against that. Uh, well, okay, there is that, but, uh, you know, otherwise. <laughs> Speaking of laws against that, uh, the other, uh, my other good friend here is Jeb Burnside, <laughs> talking to us <laughs> from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. I'm sorry, Jeb, I, even I don't know what that means. There, there, are, <laughs> there are only laws against that if someone else gets involved. There you go, <laughs> That's right. How are you doing, Jeb? I'm 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 fine. Yeah. The uh, temperature down here, according to SR uh, Weather Underground at SRQ, right now is 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we've got more humidity than all of you people put together. I see. I, so I know, don't know. even when it's relatively cool, it's not all that comfortable. I think. Sometimes. I think. I think we could give you a run for your money on both temperature and humidity here yeah. today. It's it's. It's it's pretty of both. Um, we'll lose we'll lose the temperature race today, big time. We we're had, supposed uh, weather off and on. Yeah, we're supposed to get some drier air later this week. It's supposed to be a great midweek. So <sighs> I'm looking forward to that. It's been, I must have had three inches of rain yesterday. The 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 um, lake went from being very nicely filled to oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't it, think it, I've it ever seen like, it really it full. Like five hours. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to send me a picture. I don't think I've ever seen it really, really full. Is it like like to that overflow drain over oh, there on the side? Oh, it's way past that overflow. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. That's a lot was, of fracking rain. Yeah. Last, last year, I saw that. Well, I don't think I saw it covered, but yeah, I could well have. Um, but um, it's been above the bottom of the girders on the bridge um, within the last 12 hours. Wow. 
Oh, yeah. That's pretty full. Nobody, oh, nobody listening. Got to be going. Where'd the bottom go? Nobody listening to this podcast has any idea what we're talking about or any context, anyways. So uh, this is just take our, take our word for it, folks. That's a lot of water in Jeb's pond, pool, lake, out back. So tell you later, alligator. Yeah. So, so there's a great big juicy story in in aviation this past couple of weeks, and uh, well, it's and it's either going to like give us something to talk about for m- more than our allotted time, or or we're going to dismiss it pretty quickly. I can't decide which. Um, and and this, of course, is the subject that's it's it's part of every hangar flying conversation in the world. I bet for the last week or so, and this is the uh, a- I, I say Asiana. You think that's the, the right pronunciation? Asi- Asiana or Asia? I think that's, I think that's true. yeah. Asiana 214, uh, Flight 214, the Boeing 777 that uh, crashed on landing at San Francisco about a week ago now. And uh, um, quite a story. Uh, we, we, we have talked about, we haven't talked, you know, uh, uh, you know, on the phone about this, but we've been talking on email about it for the past week, as, as all pilot friends around the world have been. What do you guys think about this whole thing? Is this, uh, I mean, it, uh, Let's preface this by our normal our normal uh, disclosure disclaimer, which is that it's still way too early to to know for certain what happened here, and the NTSB folks are going to do their thing and and probably figure it out. Um, surprisingly, though, the NTSB has been pretty uh, pretty uh, vocal about some stuff. They they seem to be releasing a lot more information early than I'm familiar with. Is that your It's impression? kind of a reversal, too, because usually it's the board staff complaining about parties to the investigation leaking uh, tidbits that uh, kind of work in their favor or, you know, change the picture of things that uh, in, in a way they like. And this time, it's been some of the participants complaining about the NTSB being too quick on the trigger to release information. So uh, I'll go with the NTSB on this. Yeah, Jeb? I'm not so sure. Um, NTSB, I think the night after, I think with like within 36 hours of the event, uh, or perhaps less, were tweeting various data points from the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. Yeah, that's never happened before. It, it really was pretty amazing. They, they, um, yeah. Normally, that material is kept at least not released formally from the NTSB for weeks or months after the event. That, to, to me, is is much quicker than they have in the Do you think, is it related? Oh, I agree with you 100%, man. And it, it is uh, precedent-breaking, precedent-setting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's unprecedented, both. yes. It, yeah, it, it's, is the fact that this is a foreign carrier crashing on U.S. soil have anything to do with it, you think? I don't think so. I don't think it's, nah. it has anything to do with that. They're, the NTSB is doing the, what the NTSB is supposed to do. Um, by all accounts, uh, except for you know some, some stray interns uh, doing things uh, without approval. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I know. That's well. <laughs> that's just too. Yeah, okay. Maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we won't. I don't know. We don't have to, yeah, I but know. I think we have to acknowledge it. I don't know that anything really needs to be said. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Yeah, but the things that they've. Um, I'm sorry, Jeb. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, please. so, so you know, let's. 
maybe I could get one of you, and I and I hate to put to put you on the spot, Jeb, but you're kind of our NTSB watcher. Um, can, can you? But you're going to anyway. Yeah, right. Can, can, are you able to kind of briefly summarize the facts that we've heard from the NTSB? You know, kind of just summarize what happened in the context of of what we know. Is that possible? Triple um, seven. Coming from South Korea, um, going to be landing at San Francisco um, on on an otherwise normal approach to landing. Um, got very low, apparently got very slow, um, and uh, and and didn't make the runway. Um, clipped the seawall at the edge of the uh, of the landfill there that that begins the runway environment, and uh, the aircraft broke up. Fortunately, it didn't break up. I mean, it broke up pretty dramatically, but 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 not so dramatically that there were a great many injuries and deaths. Um, there were some, uh, sadly. There have, been, there have been three so far. So far, yeah. um, and uh, um, and the, and the injuries, a bunch of injuries. Like, uh, well, there were a couple hundred, almost a couple hundred people taken to the hospital. I think that that number is just from my memory, um, and and it's down to like under a hundred that are still in you know, critical or in hospitalized situations. Um, some pretty nasty injuries at the people who got hurt badly. Um, yeah. Oh, they got whipsawed. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the impact, then the tail breaks off right about the, uh, the uh, joint at the aft pressure bulkhead, rips the aft pressure bulkhead, exposes it. There are people come out of the back. Their seats come out with them. Uh, then the airplane kind of pancakes nose down and does this near cartwheel yeah. around. Right. Uh, and when it comes back down, the engines uh, separated, but they're right there. Uh, the wing stayed on, uh, although I think they might have breached fuel tank. But uh, it was amazing how much that airplane stayed together. Given Shocking. Through yeah. I, um, you, if you remember a similar landing for that DC-10, I believe it was in 1989, in Sioux City, Iowa. I think Sioux it was. Sioux City, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what happened? It it basically did the same sort of thing. It partially cartwheeled, mm-hmm. uh, and there were a lot more fatalities from that. And that it airplane, worked. that airplane just basically, um, I won't say disintegrated, but it segmented substantially. Yeah. And, and it was it, were, it was some time after the event before the cockpit was found, and all four people in it were still alive. Yeah. So in San Francisco, yeah, that's Section Forty One just came apart. Yeah. Right. So in San Francisco, um, the aircraft uh, dramatically skidded to a halt, um, and uh, eventually the passengers um, e- exited through the emergency slides. Um, there, there was some some buzz about how the pilot initially didn't. Um, actually requested that they not evacuate. There was like a 90-second, I think I read. Have, well, is that a fact? Have you heard that, I don't too? know that it's a fact or not. I've, I've seen it reported. Uh, I'm, you know, on things like that, I'm going to sort of wait for the NTSB. Right, okay. One thing I can tell you, in uh, um, Live ATC, our friend uh, uh, Mr. Pasco, um, his service has the audio from the event, the, the, the San Francisco Tower audio, uh, you hear the flight approach. Basically, it's what they're saying is almost unintelligible, and and I hear a lot of ATC. <sighs> anyway, you hear them on the frequency, and the event occurs. There's no real um, um, comment. Oh, somebody crashed. It's it's Asiana two fourteen. We have the equipment's on the way. Right. 
and you hear Asiana 214 transmitting um, two or three times subsequent to that. Right. But it's really time, hard. Yeah. Each time Tower tells them the equipment's on the way. Yeah. So um, one of the things that's been, been reported that I believe is a fact, and that is that the glide slope was out of service. Um, yeah, it was no temp out of service. It was no temp out of service. It's it's reasonable to expect that the crew knew this in advance. Um, it, for for those of us who are not IFR pilots, um, you know, give us the, the the short version. What what does that mean exactly? What does it mean glide slope out of service? Well, first of all, they I just want, it's really the full ILS that was out of service, but certainly the glide slope was out of service also. Dave, okay. Yeah, so just could one of you just explain to us non-IFR pilots what it means when they say the glide slope was out of service? Well, ILS has got two components, localizer to line you up with the center of the runway, left to right, and the glide slope to put you on usually, what, three, three-and-a-half degree That's uh, normal, uh, descent yeah. angle? Yeah. That's Down to, the, to a touchdown zone that's displaced from the end of the runway. Uh, so that you got a fair amount of fudge available, that, you know, uh, up and down on the glide slope. But basically, it dials it back to having only a localizer approach. Uh, so the flight management system, the autopilot, the avionics can't lock on to a glide slope generated from the ground like normal and follow it down. Uh, the airplane can, on the other hand, fly the same kind of profile if set up to do it uh, at a descent rate and an airspeed to a target point, and it will basically fly itself to that as long as the auto throttles respond when needed. And that apparently is where one of the big questions has come up on this is the lack of uh, engine response from the uh, expectation that power would adjust itself to keep the airplane at 137 knots. Uh, there, there was a reference speed for coming across the uh, runway threshold. That's what they needed to touch down uh, at the touchdown zone. Uh, if they were on the glide slope, even artificially generated by the airplane's FMS, uh, like you said, it got below that. It got slow, generated or developed a, a, an exceedingly high sink rate, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where you know the major amount of damage uh, started was the airplane hitting it a high angle of attack ripping the wheels off of it on the seawall and then pancaking into the ground yeah now so you 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 made reference to i think the, the auto throttle um wh- what exactly is the auto throttle it's uh part of the avionics the flight management system or the autopilot system uh that can move the throttles and change the power level on the airplane to help keep it at a target descent rate or airspeed or both. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it basically does what the what the pilot would be doing manually on a, on what's a normal technique instrument approach an ILS is where you try to stay on your target airspeed, leave pitch alone to the maximum possible, and adjust glide slope uh, and speed primarily through throttle movements. Mm-hmm. Now, has the NTSB released any information about the the, uh, the state of the auto throttle in this particular incident? They have. What did they say? Well, this comes from an article um, from uh, Dave's, one of Dave alma mater's uh, Air Transport World. And this is a July 9 uh, story. Um, the pilot in command of Asiana Flight 214 
uh, told investigators that he assumed the aircraft's auto throttles were engaged and maintaining a speed of 137 knots um, as the as the VREF speed. The aircraft speed dropped to just 103 knots at the time of impact. Yikes! Yeah, I know. Um, I'm sitting here shaking my head. Um, so, in a way, that was a good thing. How's that? Well, if they'd have hit the ground at 137 knots at that kind of descent rate, uh, the damage would have been a lot worse than it was. Well, aren't you a positive kind of guy? Well, and he, but he's got an excellent point. Uh-huh. Um, the, the, the speed, you know, the energy to be dissipated, you know, um, varies with the square of the speed. Yeah, no, okay. But if so, they had been at the right speed, presumably they would have touched down on the runway on the wheels. Not, and, not, at, not at that sink rate, no. But, but the sink rate was a result of the low speed. I'm yeah. speculating. They ran out of airspeed, <laughs> altitude, and ideas all at the same time. Truly. And, and, and opportunities. Yeah. Now, they speaking, really, really did. Yeah. Speaking of running out of ideas, um, uh, another thing that's been, been kind of uh, uh, controversial about this whole thing is that the, the pilot – I'm hesitating because I'm a little uncertain about something. And I want you to help me understand it. But basically the pilot flying um, in the left seat – was new to the 777, um, had relatively few hours in the 777, and was in fact flying his first 777 landing at SFO. First one at San Francisco. Yeah. And as a result... first one ever. No, not his first one ever, just his first one at San Francisco. And and as a result, the pilot in the right seat, and correct me if if, if this is not a fact, a known fact, but my understanding is that the pilot in the right seat was not the aircraft's normal first officer it was in fact a check pilot who was there to to you know basically be a cfi like person um for this low time triple seven pilot so that that those are facts correct we know those yeah, again yeah, that's again referring to this atw article it says quote he was serving talking about the right seater okay yep. Uh, quote, he was serving as an instructor for the pilot flying the aircraft sitting in the left seat who was in the midst of training on the 777 after serving for eight years as an Airbus A320 captain for Asiana. Yeah. I think, I think a, uh, we pilots are inclined to put a lot of responsibility on this left-seater, low-time 777 guy for getting slow. But at the same time, isn't a Czech pilot's sole purpose on the flight deck to catch mistakes? Isn't that why he's there? Exactly. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, so somewhere along the way, the, uh, an icon was missed, a bug was missed. There should have been something show up on the avionics to indicate that the auto throttle was actually indeed engaged, if it was engaged. Explain to me uh, how. Explain to me how, because, you know, when I think back eons ago, when I learned how to fly, I'm pretty sure that, like, the first landing lesson I ever received involved training on, you know, uh, precise airspeed control you're always watching the airspeed on final it's hammered into you throughout all of your training airspeed that, that doesn't go away in this guy's job he just gets to leave more of it to the machine well that's my point how can an air how can an experienced a 10,000 hour airline pilot all right not have the airspeed indicator be part of their regular scan i, I don't I understand think, i think he did i think he missed it uh i think the change from the A320 
Thank uh, you. for eight years in the A320s. Uh, that's probably about 8,000 hours. All right, if he's getting the max allowed in the U.S. a year, uh, he's flying 1,000 hours a year, eight years in A320, 8,000 hours. He moves over. He spends probably... Uh, a week in systems classes, uh, two weeks in the sim. Uh, then he goes out and flies the airplane and joins a crew and starts getting indoctrinated in the in the cockpit, real world cockpit resource management. Uh, and then it's you know fly the fly the missions in the seat and get your initial operating experience signed off. And boom, you do this by yourself. Uh, there's some significant differences between those two airplanes that I think maybe muscle memory or mental memory or 8,000 hours of ingrainment might have well, come into play, like the me, auto throttles. Let, let me bake your noodle here for a second, okay? If this had been a, a, a functioning Airbus in normal law, would the same thing have happened? I don't know. What do you mean by in normal law? The, the software is what really flies an Airbus these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if the software was engaged in, in a normal mode in flying the airplane, you know, it's, it's a fly-by-wire system. So you can yank the stick over all the way, and the system may or may not let you, depending on, on the conditions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How is, I'm not sure if you guys know the answer to this, but in a 777, um, how is airspeed displayed on the panel? Is it a tape on one of these uh, uh, screens? It's a tape on the primary flight display screen. Is there a backup um, sure. steam gauge airspeed sure. or not? The problem uh, I think the backup is electronic on this airplane, too. So, so yeah, there could yeah. well be. They're, 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 what, now, is there a mechanical backup? Probably not. No, I don't think so. Yeah, okay. Uh, and so they, and they try to make the backups in, in this category of airplane uh, as similar to the main unit as possible so that, you know, the transition to the standby system uh, is, is, is as similar as possible. You know, the, the less different about it, the better the experience, the safer it's supposed to be, yeah. uh, the easier for you to handle the crisis. Yeah. Uh, auto throttles on Airbus A320s. When they're engaged and working, you can have your hands on the throttle levers and they don't move. Yeah, on the Boeing, they do. Yeah. Uh, if they weren't engaged and they weren't working and this captain uh, in training didn't feel them moving as they should have, I'm not sure that that would have registered as a flaw. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah, I've yeah. read that also, and, and that's perfectly logical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know. You know, you you mentioned the uh, the Sioux City Captain Haynes crash from from years and years and years ago, um, and w- one of the things that that was credited for re- reducing the loss of life on that particular instance was cockpit cockpit resource management was the fact that the crew worked together well, and that in fact there were extra pilots on board who came forward, and then then because they had a good team that was able to work together and compare notes and check each other and that kind of thing, that that, that didn't turn into more of a tragedy than it was. Um, and, and since then, I've always kind of had this kind of feeling almost of pride that the, the airlines were doing better and better at, at, at CRM, uh-huh. that, that there was less of this kind of the first officer, you know, shall only speak when spoken to kind of thing was not prevalent. I, am I mistaken about that? Is that still a problem in U.S. cockpits? Do you think? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Do, 
You know, I mean, some some personalities try really hard, but they don't mesh, and they don't wind up being automatic adherents to the mentality that makes CRM work best. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a human nature thing. Uh, I don't think it's as deep or prevalent as as, as you might find where uh, cultural biases may come into play. Uh, and that's and that's obviously what I'm getting at here. Um, you know, so so these pilots come from a culture that, at least according to our stereotype, is much more respectful of authority. Is maybe a way of putting it. Um, have we heard any evidence that indicates that that was a factor on this incident, this crash? There's no evidence of that whatsoever yeah. at this point. Um, <laughs> Four, four appropriately rated pilots sat by and watched themselves fly a triple seven into the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you, and, and something. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. You, you, you just, you're just at the end of the day. You're just kind of left shaking your head, doing what? Yeah. This is this is not even on par with say the Air France four four seven or anything like that. Dude, no. you can't land the airplane from here. Come on. It was a VFR day. Yeah, it they was pulled, beautiful. It, it, yeah. they, you I know, mean, you they, know they were they were a little bit a little bit high and hot, but they solved that problem, you know, without any issues. And they had a VRF speed, and they went right through it. That's and just basic right airmanship. So, somebody's still got to be mining the store. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's worth remembering too that you know, in their initial training and their initial operating experiences early in their airline careers, most of these guys came from systems that are either ours, operated over here, or modeled after what we do here, and are very often staffed by American instructors that teach the same stuff. Uh, whatever cultural things come along are are, are more than just first officer captain deference Mm -hmm. there's an email floating around and dave i know you were digging around i believe you were digging around trying to get a a source on it you know the one i'm talking about is oh yeah you you mentioned the the u.s trainer who who went to korea to train and had a lot of very juicy things to say about the cultural situation and and a lot of people are really really suspect suspicious of that email um and and you were trying to figure out a source did you ever find a source to that do do we trust that email I don't trust the email. Uh, everybody pretty much that copied it to me as a, here's a revelation, Dave. We know you'll want to know about this. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Keep the cards and letters coming. I never get tired of them. Uh, <laughs> but once in a while, you read one and you look through it and you kind of go, okay, this doesn't match that. And this doesn't gel with what I've learned in reality working in that part of the aviation world. And, and a couple of other things. And then, okay, who wrote this? Nobody. Uh, where'd you get it? Oh, my friend sent it. He got it from a friend of a friend who said it was from some airline guy that he thought somebody knew that he knew. Yeah, it all breaks down along. Nobody stepped forward to this. Uh, nobody's hung a credential on the line uh, except to say, oh, they were in Korea to I- instruct. And they're talking from background here in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. Who are you? Yeah. I, I, we've seen and heard stories like this coming out of various regions of the world for years. This, this is nothing new. Uh, Any time that there's a big screw-up involving some foreign carrier, uh, you'll see an email like this. That in and of itself doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. Um, unless or until in interviewing these guys, someone determines that, yeah, you know, they were kind of waiting for the other guy to do something, then, you know, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So and, and some of it smacks of a, a little bit of 
uh, cultural elitism on on the author's part because when that thing came out, I started to have sent to me as a grand revelation uh, these long kept secret photographs of this Airbus A three forty that was uh, uh, had the acceptance flight crew from the airline in the Middle East. Right, they're they're doing on the acceptance process, which on an airplane like that probably lasts two, sometimes three days. And they're doing an engine run-up test, and well, they didn't know better. They never, they didn't really have experience on airplanes this big, except the airline, airline had taken delivery of others. Uh, and they ran it off a wall, and no, oh, the pictures were suppressed for years because it was an insult to the culture, and blah 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 blah. And BS, Jeb and I had it in our email boxes the morning after it freaking happened. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was everywhere. But this was an example of these third world pilots that just not really competent. And you and you see this all. I don't know when the last time I I saw, it, but this was years ago. And you still see this coming up as brand new. Yeah, 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 yeah. This happened in two thousand seven. Right. Okay. Long held secret, except Jeb and I and five hundred other aviation journalists and a bunch of wire service reporters and copy editors and photo <laughs> desk editors all saw it the morning after. Yeah. So, you know, bite my shiny metal ass. Come up with something really original. <laughs> okay. Getting back to the... Uh, <laughs> but, keep, but keep those cards and letters <laughs> coming. coming. Yeah, right. But getting back to the 777 crash in San Francisco, any other uh, elements of this that I haven't touched upon that, uh, um, you know, are, are worth discussing at this stage of the game? I think there's one thing that's not been talked about and will be before this is all said and done. What's that? And and that's how uh, crash fire and rescue crews respond to uh, uh, on-field accidents yeah. like this. And what is it you're referring to? Because it was an ugly incident. Well, I have a friend who survived a crash in South America about 14 years ago who, if he hadn't been conscious enough to roll out of the way, would have been run over by one of the fire trucks coming out to respond to his crash. Hmm. Uh, and when this thing came up with one of the uh, young Chinese passengers uh, looking uh, increasingly like she survived the crash and was killed by being run over by one of the responding vehicles there on the field, uh it's time to step back and, and, and add a couple of lines to the training syllabus that says, don't freaking run over debris. It might be somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is broad daylight, guys. This yeah, is, know. you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a VMC day, uh, it, visual for the airport. It should have been visual for the emergency vehicle. Uh, I know the adrenaline's got to be off the scale because uh, it's been my misfortune to be on site and close enough to feel the heat from air crashes in the past. Uh, it just does weird things to you. But don't run over debris. Yeah. It could be somebody's child. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I think NTSB will get to that is part of this whole thing. I'd, I'd be willing to bet. So, oh, sure. so if if it turns out, and we don't know. NTSB will eventually make a judgment on this. But if it turns out that this was that a big contributing factor was a failure of piloting skill on some level, it will be the latest in a series of that kind of judgments. And I guess my question is, what's to be done? You know, I mean, if we've got we've got airline pilots that are making these kinds of of fundamental mistakes. Oh, let's but let's say it for what it is. Yeah, right? what's we've that? got airline pilots that are making increasingly the same 
pilots that weekend Joe GA pilots make. And that's a sad commentary. I, I'm not sure. Well, making in, income, money? Making the same com- you know, the same mistake. Oh, the same mistake. Getting behind the airplane, landing short, or running off the end of the runway because they're too hot and too high. Don't we have an, don't we have, I, isn't I it reasonable? Pro- I don't Je- think that's the problem here. Jeb, go ahead. I don't think that's the problem here. I think the problem here is, I, I think all four of them are perfectly capable of, of flying the airplane. No one was flying the airplane. Yeah, that's okay? what happened. It's a fundamental failure of CRM, absolutely. But at the same time, it's just like, who's flying the airplane? Who's in charge? Someone has to make a decision, and nobody was doing anything. They watched the plane, the plane decelerate 34 knots and crash short of the runway. And they sat by and did nothing. What, what the heck's going on? Uh, you're right. And it, it's almost as if the qualifying pilot, the pilot flying was kind of waiting for more instruction while the instructor was waiting for more action. Right. As, and that might, come, might, might be what it comes down to once all the interviews are processed and whatnot. But um, you can't change that. Yeah. There's just something askew. Anybody in the, air, in the cockpit could have, you know, if they were handling it by themselves, they could have landed the airplane perfectly fine. It really, it really, it really is kind of an indictment of the whole setup when you had two non-flying pilots sitting back there going, you know, that doesn't look right. right. Don't you think he ought to go? Don't you think he ought to add some power? Well, one of the reports don't you think I he heard. Add some power. One of the report. First of all, I'm not sure if all four of them were on the flight deck. Was that were they? I thought one was. They were for landing. I, I know one was. One was. De- Jeb, yeah. you th- you you think all four were on the flight I'm, deck? I'm led to believe for coverage that um, all four okay pilots were were in the on the flight deck at the time of the landing. And I've heard a They're report for all of them. Yeah, and I've heard rep- a report that at least one of them spoke up at some point during final um, about the about airspeed. Thirty seconds before they hit. Yeah, so. Anyways, so I mean, so again, I go back to my original question: What's to be done here? Is this is this just a retraining thing? Is this just an awareness? Is it how how do you get how? I mean, or maybe this is just an isolated thing. Maybe this isn't going to happen again for another million flights. Well, if it doesn't happen for another million flights, then we got a problem because there are far more than a million <laughs> flights that have occurred since the last episode like that. Okay, yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. Um, okay. But. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I, I think I need to know more, more, more about what the cause is before yeah. we can really get to an answer. Okay, oh, I, I'm dying to hear the last five minutes of the, of the cockpit, uh, uh, the cockpit voice recording, or read the transcript. Uh, I really want to hear that in context with what was going on because everything was fat, dumb, and happy at about five miles out. Right. I, yeah, I would really like to see um, the TikTok. Uh, match the CVR against the FDR and, and those it, nice yeah. graphs that they can do on altitude, power settings, uh, pitch angle, things like that. I would really like to see one of those. Oh, I'm sure yeah, we will. I, I look forward to that. I, I'm sure we will. It, yeah. and, and and I want to see what the, whatever the flight data recorder uh, plugged into its memory banks over systems in the aircraft, what was working, what was activated, what wasn't working. Uh, we know everything on the airplane was functional. Uh, so know, far, course. anyways. I mean, yeah, it seems to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. The engines yeah. were capable of making power and were responding. They just you, they can't respond to what they're not asked to when the auto throttle's not working. Yeah. Uh, a flight control system was intact and functioning as it should. Uh, 
their data sensors were given the feedback that they should have been given. Uh, like Jeb said, there's all those storekeepers and nobody mining the cash box. Yeah, they flew a perfectly good Boeing into the ground. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Two weeks, guys. We're two weeks away from the beginning of uh, Air Venture 2013, Oshkosh. And uh, are you getting excited? It's less, it's less than two weeks now. Is it? Well, what's today? Today's two, Monday. Two weeks from today is opening day. Yeah, yeah. two weeks today is opening day. Okay, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all arrive a little earlier than that, but uh, but today is the official first day, or two weeks from today is officially the first day. So uh, very, very excited. It's going to be it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be an interesting year for a lot of different reasons. Uh, first of all, let me do our little, uh, so UCAP, once again, we're going to be at uh, Oshkosh on Controlled Airspace. is going to be doing a bunch of different things uh, during the- this back in again? They are, crazy enough, huh? They've actually gone out of their way to help us out this year, uh, and that's very very cool. Uh, let me kind of give you the the, the kind of uh, rundown here of what we're what we're going to be up to throughout the week. Uh, first of all, we're going to do something different. In past years, we've always done a preview episode for for Oshkosh, but we've recorded it before we left home, um, and we've usually had uh, someone like the EA president on by telephone. This year, we're going to do our preview episode actually from the grounds of AirVenture. We're going to record it probably on Friday afternoon, um, before, uh, three, what is it, that three days before the show opens. Um, we're probably going to get right down in the heart of the, uh, of the uh, showgrounds. Uh, we're set up, I'm sure, will be going on all around us. And, uh, and we're going to just talk a little bit uh, right from the grounds about what we're expecting from this year's uh, AirVenture show. Uh, we're looking forward to having some special guests join us during that time. And... Uh, and it should should be a lot of fun. Uh, some great energy from out there on the ground. So we'll be recording that on Friday, probably releasing it on Saturday morning prior to AirVenture beginning. Throughout the whole week, we'll be doing our UCAP dailies, which, which we've been doing for a few years now, uh, which uh, I know I think you guys agree, but I know I love the, the dailies. I, they, I, like, I like doing the dailies. They, they give a great, we try to give a, a flavor of what the energy's like at the show, what the what it feels like to be there. And every day, we kind of focus on one particular aspect of, of AirVenture and of being at the convention. And so we're going to do our dailies uh, every day throughout the week, uh, probably beginning on Saturday b- before the show begins. Every and, day? Is that why they call them dailies? That's why they call them dailies. Yeah. And uh, and if we go if we do like we've done in the past years, we'll do one every day all the way through the day after closing. Uh, we usually finish up and do the final daily on Monday morning as we're all we're, departing. We're right from out by Jeb's airplane. Oh, by exactly. Jeb's airplane. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. We will once again this year be hosting our annual UCAP tie down party, uh, where we will uh, uh, in, we invite all of our listeners to come out and say hi. And we really really love meeting you folks and having you come out and, and share a soft drink or a beer with us. And uh, that will be on Thursday evening during the, sh- the, sh- the week of the show uh, at from six to eight p.m. Uh, it will probably be in that same location over by what we call the Super Eight Gate, which is the uh, gate um, off of the airport grounds. Whoa, right. whoa, 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 whoa. Back, back, back up a second. Back. Yeah. Yeah. You're, 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 putting a, you're putting a time limit on this? Well, I put this. I, it's suggestion. It's a suggestion only. All right. It definitely begins at six. Uh, anything else is like you know fair game. Uh, Thursday, six o'clock. 
don't be much later than eight o'clock, but you never know uh, at the Super Eight if, gate. If you are, bring pizza. Yeah, that's yeah. There you go. That could work. That could work yeah. perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> you be careful, Jeb. People are going to bring pizza now. That's okay. Yeah, that's okay. okay. I should tell you now also that uh, while we're on the air and live, so you know, no one can ever say I didn't tell you. Uh, I extend an invitation to the DC Pilots email list to join us. Yes, that would be great. That would be great. Because we, we talk about them so often, it's only fair exactly. that we give them a beer. It's only fair we give them free beer. Yeah, right. Yeah. So that's Thursday evening. And then finally on Sunday morning, we will uh, reprise our one of the, my favorite episodes that we do all year long is uh, from the flight line at, uh, at AirVenture. Now, anyone in the know about the AirVenture grounds knows that there's a problem with that. Uh, for years now, we've been doing that as the guest of EAA Radio and from their second floor deck um, right there on the edge of the flight line. Uh, people who pay attention to air venture issues know that that building got torn down about two weeks after the uh, convention last year. So that deck is no longer there. All right, and uh, and and we were really regretting not being able to do the uh, yeah. the, the episode from there. But uh, our friends at EAA Radio have have just you know done a yeoman's job and found an alternative. And I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to say exactly what that alternative is, but it's very very cool. We'll update that if it is. Yeah, and so look at the. There, I think there's a couple of choices, and, and I don't know. Maybe we need to look at them, or I don't know what the yeah. So, uh, but we'll definitely be recording an episode on Sunday morning uh, that will be uh, on EA, live on EAA Radio uh, on both on their uh, radio frequencies and on on the uh, internet stream. And then we'll package that up and put it on our, our UCAP feed uh, probably the next day. So uh, a lot of UCAP activities um, from Oshkosh, and we look forward to, to the show, and we look forward to, to meeting with some of our listeners and, and seeing each other face-to-face. What the heck, you know? So, uh, so Oshkosh, two weeks. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Speaking of, uh, of Oshkosh and EAA, uh, I think last episode or the last few episodes, we've been talking about the fact that the FAA was uh, saying they weren't going to pay for the tower controllers at, at AirVenture and that EAA was going to have to come up with almost a half a million dollars and it was just kind of getting ugly and EAA had seemed to resign themselves to the fact that they were going to have to pay this bill. But then, and, and, it, and that's still the case as near as I know. They, but, they made the contractually required down payment, right. yes. But... EAA is not sitting around. Um, EAA has has uh, brought out some big guns here and have uh, taken some really dramatic steps. Can one of you tell me what the? It's a pop quiz. Can one of you tell me? I'm talking too much here. I need one of you guys to talk. What did EAA do recently to try and address this whole thing? Well, I'm I'm looking for the press release. I wanted to find. Yeah. Um, well, the quick and dirty. While Jeb looks up the specific languages. Uh, they've pushed back. They've pushed back. They've pushed back, pushed back and they're filed, pushing back in federal court. Yep. Yeah, they, they filed a, a petition in uh, federal court. Um, the press release from EAA is dated July 3 and says the petition was filed on that day. So it filed on July 3. Um, you can read the petition online. Um, Basically, they're, they filed in a Chicago federal court, uh, Milwaukee federal court, um, that uh, what the FAA has imposed on EAA is unlawful. They don't have the authority to do it. Uh, Congress has specifically on several occasions said they, there shouldn't be any fees of this kind. Um, and uh, they're asking the court for uh, relief and not only uh, – Relief from having to pay the money, but uh, reasonable fees and, and court costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, more power to them. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I am not a lawyer. 
uh, I don't know if this is uh, um, a real deal or not. Is anybody thinking, anybody talking like this uh, EAA tower fee will be resolved before AirVenture? Or do we think this is going to take some time? And I'd be shocked if it gets resolved before AirVenture. Although time should be of the essence, all things considered. And, and uh, maybe there should be um, some kind of an expedited um, decision. I'm not sure EAA wants that. Okay, or they, they perhaps would have asked for that. I was going to say I don't think they asked for it, and it struck uh, struck a couple of people that have talked to me about this as uh, as, as smart strategically right. uh, and for the good of the argument, not to go for the quick kill and maybe run the risk of losing, uh, you know, for example, an, a temporary injunction against having to pay the second half right. until this is resolved. And you lose on that, and uh, now you're on the hook. You're going to pay the second half, and the next swing at the ball could be a little bit tougher. So well, this is you know, probably one, the smarter way. There's one thing here that uh, I think EA has done uh, correct, uh, very well, I should say, uh, correctly. Um, and that is put the, show, um, the show's importance on, on center stage. Um, and say, look, you know, we we got we can't we can't mess around with this EA, with this FAA billing us stuff, you know, whatever whatever it's going to take, you know, we'll stroke you a check, but the show's got to go on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I cannot envision a worse outcome for everybody if, for some reason, the show was canceled on account of funding from the FAA. Uh, or, you, or, I cannot man, imagine a worse outcome. Absolutely, absolutely not. In thirty seconds on the soapbox for me, start the timer now. I am. Uh, okay. People who I've heard talk about uh, uh, boycotting, quote unquote, uh, not going, uh, sending a message to the FAA, uh, you know, folks. That's about the dumbest freaking thing I can possibly think of, uh, uh, because the person that's going to get shot in this kind of uh, attempted action against the show is the show and EAA and the people that go. Uh, Matter of fact, if ever there was a time to say, you know, I'd been wanting to go maybe only for a couple of days, but I keep putting it off or I wasn't sure about it this year, go this year. Right. Send a message of of a a little bit of strength and unity and and, – and let's show the world that this really is a community and that there's a reason why we pay for what we get and the FAA is trying to charge us twice for it and it's wrong. That's, you know, that's another point that I, a lot of people, and I don't know that EAA is, is made. Maybe they're making it privately, but maybe some other people kind of against it. I don't know. But AirVenture is such an international event mm-hmm. that you would think – um, the FAA would want to demonstrate for the world its prowess at, at making all of this work. And now, all of a sudden, they're, they're like children charging for it. They should be proud of this, and they should be exhibit, telling the world how well we do these, th- these kinds of things. Instead, they're nickel and diming the organization behind it all. And it's, well, it's just some of the most immature behavior I've ever seen. Well, and it's such they should be they uh, should be ashamed of themselves. It's such a role reversal and betrayal 
and now I'm off the soapbox. You better cut me off before I have another. Yeah, no, okay. <laughs> if I was going to cut you off, it would have been a long time ago, David. Yeah, like, like months. Yeah, months, years, <laughs> years. Back Anyways. About 2009. We've got our fingers crossed that EAA will be able to resolve this situation and, yeah, uh, and it not be such a burden on them, and uh, we'll see what happens. A couple episodes, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before. It's been a long time, by the way. We should apologize, or I don't know, maybe somebody should apologize, uh, uh, or just at least acknowledge that it's been a long time since we record, recorded this uh, an episode of this podcast. Um, we, 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 I think we had to scrub four different recording sessions of this podcast, um, and it's been almost literally a month since we recorded. Um, we started trying to record like two weeks ago, or three weeks ago maybe even, and, uh, and one thing led to... To another and there were like you know scheduling problems and power outages and good gosh it was just like crazy um we actually began the podcast last night we actually began recording i was doing the introduction we, we had all been chatting everything was hunky-dory i started saying welcome folks to the podcast hey dave how you doing and dave is silent all right because apparently the minute i started saying welcome dave's power went out um and uh, so yeah, my whole neighborhood like a couple hundred houses yeah. so so you know knock on wood we're doing good here but it's been a long time since we did, did an episode of this podcast and um Ooh, that's an that's hour in and still have electricity i know i i real, i suddenly realized that if i was i need to throw some more seed to those squirrels i realized that was tempting fate by bringing it up um but on one of those recent episodes whenever it was uh we talked about a piece of video that was on the net about a uh, an off-field landing, a forced landing soon after takeoff, where the the airplane remarkably had uh, like four different cameras attached to it, and we were able to see this forced landing from a number of different angles. And we talked about it. And Jeb, you coincidentally knew um, the person who was in the right seat of that aircraft. Um, and uh, and we later heard some more stories about uh, the there was some conversation online about um, the what the left seat pilot had been thinking and why he made the choices he did. And it was all pretty interesting. Sadly, tragic. I mean, just unbelievably tragically. Um, it turns out that the pilot who was flying in the left seat of that aircraft was in another crash of um, some recent, few weeks afterwards, I guess, um, from which he, he did not survive. Um, he was killed in an airplane crash just a, a few weeks later. I think that he's up in Alaska. Do I have that right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I don't know the details of, of the incident that took his life, but uh, it's uh, it's just very sad, and I, I didn't want it to go without... I, I, I wish I had his name in front of me. Does either of you know? It was kind of, kind of a mystery. It was uh, the flight was overdue. People looked along the route and found the wreckage. Uh, and there was no uh, no no crisis call, no emergency radio transmission, uh, nothing to indicate anything wrong. He was scouting a route uh, for a, a group flight uh, that his company was leading, and uh, he was scouting to make sure that the route through this mountain pass basically following the uh, Alcan Highway, was uh, clear clear enough to fly through and maintain you know, clearance from clouds and stay VFR and all that stuff. Uh, just kind of didn't come back from it. Yeah, he kind of demonstrated that it wasn't clear of clouds. Yeah, so very, very sad. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our, our thoughts and prayers. Um, and uh, I'm not sure what else there is to say about that. Um, 
on a much different tone. I, I wish I hadn't put these two back to back, but uh, I did. So here we go. Um, and, and that is it's, it's official. Um, Connecticut has approved a bill. So we talked about this a long time ago. All right. We talked about this oh, a bunch man. of episodes ago Jeez. about how Connecticut came across this bit of, of old news. All right. Some newspaper reports that claimed that there was a Connecticut man who succeeded in powered flight um, before the Wright brothers. And so Connecticut was trying to lay claim to being first in flight. And and we talked about it a little bit, and we kind of, I believe at the time, we all came to the consensus that the story was, there was not a lot of detail of the story. It was probably not true. Um, and, uh, and we left it at that. Well, apparently the legislators in Connecticut have decided that it was correct, and, and they have approved a bill. Uh, the headline says, writing the Wright brothers out of history. Let's, oh, see, it's from Fox News. Uh, this is going to be a problem right now, I can see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could just snip this whole thing. Yeah, no, 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 no. Because, you know, see, because here's my thing. Well, the reason I really wanted to talk about this is that I don't have a problem with this, all right? I think this is awesome, all right? And and I would be thrilled if every state in the union were to try and lay claim to first in flight, all right? I think that's the kind of excitement about aviation we need more of, all right? You know, the fact that Connecticut wants Good to point. be the first state is awesome, all right? And I think every state should cook up some some claim to being first in flight uh that would be terrific uh i finally well, we had whole we had that whole euphoria over the 100th anniversary where every state was uh looking at uh when the first aircraft flew in their state and getting ready for their own 100th anniversary you know events and proclamations you know the first flight in georgia the first flight in pennsylvania uh, when was the first flight in Ohio? Uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, I finally have the story on my screen here. Uh, 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 the message from Connecticut Governor Daniel P. Malloy, who announced Wednesday that he had signed into law a measure insisting that Bridgeport resident Gustav Whitehead flew in 1901, two years before Wilburn Overwrite lifted off from Kitty Hawk. Quote, the governor shall proclaim a date certain in each year as Powered Flight Day to honor the first powered flight by uh, oh, this story's odd here but anyways, by Gustav Whitehead and to commemorate the Connecticut aviation and aerospace industry so uh, by the way <laughs> the next graph is great apparently another element of the same bill uh, it, it also declared the ballroom polka as the official state polka so Anyways. Everything's becoming much clearer. Now. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. <laughs> but uh, go Connecticut. I'm I'm for I'm with you. Let's like I want every state to to to, to lay claim to first flight. Uh, I want everybody to to express their their enthusiasm for aviation. So uh, no, you're not happy with this. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm just, okay. I'm just uh, who who knew that. Connecticut has some of the same kind of people we find in Kansas. <laughs> Come Sunday morning at AirVenture, we'll be loaning out the EAA radio microphone to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. God bless them, but wow. And I just question the judgment. With more than 300 podcast episodes to their credit, the UCAP gang has found their way back to Oshkosh this week. How'd you do that? A compass and a piece of road atlas. 
And on Sunday morning at 10, when the departure conga line forms up, uh -huh. yeah. tune in here for some virtual hangar flying. Whoa! Let's find out what this is all about. <laughs> well, expect to hear from producer Jack Hodgson. Jack, how gullible are you? And seasoned pilot Jeb Burnside. I had a flight last month. And maybe Dave Higdon, if he's in a good mood. Bite my shiny metal container. Why would we want to do that? What, what was his problem? I'm not sure what. Did I say that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Listen to EAA Radio Sunday morning at 10 for uncontrolled airspace. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. So last episode, um, I was expressing my, what's the right <laughs> word here, my dismay at someone who had, who had, uh, had a, a, a tricycle gear champ. Um, and didn't we establish that this was not a modification, that this was a factory version of the aircraft? And uh, I, I was, believe I, that was part of the point. I was troubled by the fact that there was a tricycle gear version of the of the legendary beloved Champ. And uh, um, hey, you know, all the kids were doing. It. Yeah, right. Cessna, Cessna was do, getting ready to do it. Piper was getting ready to do it. Uh, you know, the, the pacer begat the tri pacer. Uh, I'm not sure where the cult came from, uh, but I'm, it's it's parental lineage. It's always defied me. That's the, that's they call it the milk stool. Yeah. So, anyways, the listener in the forums, um, M. S. I'm sorry, I can't read his name. Let me see what it says here. It says M. S. A. W. Hill or something like that. Um, anyways, I thought it was M. Sawhill. M. Saw. Oh, M. Sawhill. I like that. Okay, M. Sawhill. M. Sawhill goes and goes into some length here, talking about how much he likes this aircraft, and so that's you know that's cool. I guess I don't know. Every you know what is it you like to say? The airplane you're in. You know, it's like you know when you're not with the airplane you love, love the airplane you're in, or something like that. And so. Good for good for them. This is it's a any you know if it flies it's it's a great airplane I guess is is what we're getting at here. My favorite airplane is the one I'm flying. That's right. Yeah, I like the description of the main gear troop groundward, such that the airplane appears to be afraid of heights. <laughs> I mean, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. No, that's why I fly. Yeah. So this next story on the list, I, I just wanted to mention that this, this is all tangled up in the just ugly, ugly incidents that are going on in the nation of Egypt over the last few weeks um, with all their, their leadership hassles and just some bad stuff that's happening in Egypt. But there was one piece of video that came out of this that was kind of interesting. Um, it shows what is apparently a military helicopter um, flying over one of these huge demonstrations um, after dark. And I guess the, one of the big things this year, this time in these Egypt demonstrations, is everybody's got a laser pointer. And, and Lord knows why that is this time as opposed to other times. But um, they're, And all of the long shots of, the, of these demonstrations, you see these laser pointers. So when this helicopter flies over the crowd, everybody aimed their laser pointer at this helicopter, which is probably cruising, I don't know what, 500 feet, 1,000 feet you know, over the crowd. And it's a pretty dramatic image from the ground of this this uh, this uh, 
helicopter being illuminated with, you know, like no exaggeration, a thousand points of light, you know. And it's the closest they're going to get in their lifetime to a real lightsaber. Yeah, well, maybe, huh? Um, it's just, it's a freaky image. And you got to, th- you know, we've heard stories of how a single laser pointer shined into the cockpit of an aircraft can be dramatically disorienting to the pilots. And uh, th- to have this many laser pointers on, on your aircraft, I, I got to figure that these pilots were wearing some sort of gear to protect their eyes. But still, it, w- it was quite a thing. You've seen the video, right? Oh, yeah. 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 There's, I, a, there's, I, a, I, there's a still image out there that's very yeah. illuminating, shall we say. Yeah, right. Uh, what I couldn't figure out whether, again, it, it, it goes to the question, the fact that the, this whole Egypt situation is kind of confusing to me, and I can't figure out which side is which and who's doing what, and that's just my ignorance, and I apologize for that. But, but I, I was unclear when I saw this image as to whether or not the crowd was somehow saluting this helicopter or trying to attack the helicopter. Um, it depends on which crowd it was flying over, because apparently some of those crowds favor the military and some hate the military, and I don't know which is which. But uh, I, I don't. Well, it was the military that that did the coup, and they're you know say you know stabilize things, they'll give back power. Well, we'll wait and see. Yeah. So it hasn't worked out in some kind. Anyways, but maybe it, will. it was interesting just to see what what uh, uh, you know a thousand laser pointers can do to an aircraft not oh, far. Exactly. I, and I'm I'm really kind of surprised that. Um, they put up with that, to be honest with you. The the, the aircraft? The, mili- the military helicopter. Yeah. Uh, they didn't seem very affected by it. That's a. what I know. Yeah, they were B, just... B, they didn't retaliate either. Yeah, well, maybe and, then that's and, the, a sign that, that this was one of their crowds. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, interesting video. You might want to dig it out. We'll put it in the show. Jeff will put it in the show notes, I'm sure. Um, what else? The moose spiral. Here we go. So, Where the moose spiral? I actually heard about this way, way back when, when I was still living in California and flying a lot out there, and and I would occasionally come across people who were familiar with Alaskan flying, and and someone told me one time, and it stuck in my head, that there was a sort of a, a, a agreed upon, accepted procedure for when you circle a moose. All right, is the, the you know it's sort of like circles about a moose. All right, was a was a uh, an agreed upon procedure, and then you always agreed to go. I forget what it was, left turns or something like that, because you didn't want because you know it happens all the time that people will circle around you know a a, a, a moose or some other piece of. You know. it, it, it happens here in the lower forty. Yeah, and you want to and you at least want everybody circling the same direction that would kind of minimize you know the uh, the uh, bad interactions. And uh, but so now here's this story talking about uh, they're warning about the uh, moose spiral um, that apparently it's a it's a big deal people die because they it sounds like it's just you know basically a stall spin. Well, um, we used to call it ground fixation with a group of ultralight pilots that I hang out with. Yeah, what would like happen? You'd be flying along, you'd see something on the ground like a herd of deer or a really interesting outcropping or a you know, really pretty house or a bunch of people sunbathing by the pool. And you take up a you know, a, a three sixty around that point and the more you focused on it, the less you happen to notice that your altitude was deteriorating slowly but surely until you looked up and there was a tree in front of you. Uh, which point it was very often uh, a good time to go back up. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah it's it is, it is a fixation thing. It takes uh, us back to our earlier comment about somebody ought to be flying the airplane. You know, right. And, 
Uh, well, when I first heard about the moose spiral, I thought it was what was responsible for the untimely death of Rocky the Flying Squirrel. But <laughs> that was a tragic story, wasn't it? I know. Um, he came back in the next episode. He did, yeah, because <laughs> we didn't see the body. If you don't see the body, they're never really dead. I don't know. Nope. It didn't happen if there are no pictures. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so the moose spiral. So this is story. It's. it's uh, um, I mean, it's just basically talking about. There's some interesting pictures of of, of Alaska in this story, and uh, um, they're just warning people to be careful about this kind of thing. And it, it you know makes sense. It's. Uh, this is from GA News. Beware the moose spiral. I don't know what I where, where I wanted to go with that. Shoutouts. What we got? You got any shoutouts? I've got a shout-out that's just, just insanely self-serving. So why don't you guys go first? No, you're going to make me go first? Dave, go ahead. Right. Uh, I was going to give a shout-out real quick uh, to a late arriver on the list, and that's to the folks up in, uh, in uh, Canada who uh, last week claimed the, uh, the Sikorsky Prize for a man-powered helicopter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 33 years since that prize was uh, uh, established. Uh, you had to reach a height of 3 meters. Okay, that's 10 feet, kiddies. 3 meters while hovering for at least 1 minute within a 10 square meter area. Uh, a gentleman named Todd Reichert provided the power. Uh a team from uh, uh, of engineers trained in the Toronto area, the, their company AeroVelo, uh, mostly University of Toronto alums. They pulled it off. Congratulations! They get two hundred and fifty thousand U.S., which I understand is still a pretty good amount Canadian. Yeah, I just yeah okay, it is cool. It's very very cool, uh, you know. Uh, and and the video is really neat. It's interesting that the the rotors go. It's, so this is a quadcopter um, powered by a guy on a bicycle like thing in the middle, and uh, the the rotors go unless the video I saw was in slow motion. They go very very slowly. I mean, almost no, they're they they are very slow. Yeah, I, it almost seemed like they were too slow to produce lift, but obviously and that's well. Not look the case. at the surface area that you're carrying around yeah. there. Yeah, uh, you know each one of those rotors. You're looking at it right off the top, if it's not two hundred two hundred some odd square feet of wing area on each one of those, I'd be really surprised. Yeah, uh, uh, you're not going to get them going real fast uh, without needing more structure. You need more structure. It's heavier. It's harder to get it to go that fast. You need more wing area to offset that, and now you never get you know ten inches, let alone ten meters or <laughs> three meters. Yeah. Way to go, guys. I'm, yeah, very, very uh, cool. Very, very cool. Um, my shout-out is my shout out is to me. Um, and I just, this is a blatant bit of self-promotion here. I apologize. You know what? Fast forward right now to the next shout-out. But uh, um, I, this part I'm very serious about. I'm very, very grateful. I'm very, very proud to have been nominated uh, for one of the Oshbash um, awards this year. Um, Oshbash is part of is a is a, uh, a gathering that is put on by the Airplaneista uh, website, folks, and uh, and they uh, nominate uh, people in a number of different categories that are all generally about um, promoting aviation on the internet. 
and uh, and there's a bunch of different interesting categories, and 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 I amazingly have been nominated as the Oshbash, uh, as one of the uh, Oshbash Aviation Podcaster of the Years, year podcasters of the year um, for that award, and uh, and I'm just really grateful um, that to have been nominated, and I've been nominated with a couple other great people, and uh, and so my favor, I guess, that I like to ask people is um, this is a sort of a, 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 a viewer's choice, uh, it's a people's choice kind of award, and. And so you can go and vote for the people that you are that are your favorites on this list. And so, um, regardless of whether you vote for me, I hope you will vote for me. But regardless of whether you vote for me, I hope you'll go to the Oshbash site and uh, and look at the list and select your favorites in all the different categories and vote for the various Oshbash. Uh, 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 and what would that URL be? And and that not, that would be. See, I didn't. I don't have it in my little notes here. I'm 99% sure that it's Oshbash.com/vote. And let me type that in real quickly here. Oshbash.com slash vote. Jack is Jack is forcing our listeners to listen to him type something into his keyboard. I'll probably cut that part out, but maybe not now that you made a deal I out of it. I thought he moved on to that talk to type stuff. Yeah. That was the correct URL. Oshbash.com slash vote. Um, please vote for me, but vote for somebody. It's a cool thing. Shout outs, Jeb? No. No? Well, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, just a, a, a longtime buddy of mine, uh, Al Icorn, uh, also goes by the name of Adrian Icorn. He's uh, kind of a bonanza guru and uh, um, does some uh, seminars for uh, FAA and EAA. I was working with him on a little project, early, um, I guess, last week. And it was just a pleasure to chat with Al and, and uh, uh, stay abreast of what he's up to. And uh, anybody who's, um, of course, going to, to, to AirVenture this year. Uh, there are a lot of, of seminars and, and uh, um, how how to it how to do it kind of kinds of things available for pilots and aircraft owners and builders and all that. Um, so you know, look for look for Al. Sh- sure, his his stuff is general ownership and, and, and maintenance kind of thing. But uh, uh, look for a bunch of other people too. Yeah. Um, a couple I don't want to let go by the wayside here. Uh, first of all, um, our, our our buddy Rod Rakick, uh, who's been a great aviation pal and a friend of the podcast and and friend of uh, of aviation on the internet and doing all kinds of things over the years. He's uh, one of the folks hanging out at Acrocamp and uh, has has uh, done a number of different ventures in aviation. Um, his latest and maybe greatest um, is a project called Open Airplane. Um, we've been hearing about Open Airplane for oh, geez the better part of a year, maybe more than a year now. Um, as Rod was trying to get this all together. And uh, it's recently reached a, a pretty significant milestone. Um, open airplane is all about trying to overcome the problem with how you go about renting an airplane and having to get a checkout, an individual unique checkout at every different FBO where you might rent an airplane. And Rod thought it should be more like the way we rent cars, where you're once you've got the proper approvals in the form of a driver's license, you can rent a car from, use your driver's license to rent a car anywhere. He wants that kind of thing to be, be the case for renting airplanes. And so he's putting together his program called Open Airplane, where uh, he wants all the FBOs in the country to agree to a set of uh, standards, and once you've got approved at one of them, you're approved at all of them. Um, a big task he's undertaken here, um, and it's taken him this long to get it get it rolling, but he has, has gotten it rolling, and, and recently announced that it is up and running now at a half dozen airports around the country. Um, airport in New, in New York, well, the New York area, Long Island, um, in Los Angeles, in Chicago, in San Jose, California, in Kissimmee, Florida, 
and in Detroit, Michigan, there is now an airport in each of those areas, where there's an FBO in each of those areas, where you can get your checkout once and rent many times. And uh, it's a it's an intriguing uh, idea. I hope he can pull it off. Seems really complicated to me, but if anybody can do it, I bet Rod can. He's he's a, a persistent guy. Well, the big deal is you want to rent a 172 from a location in the New York area. You check out there. You go to an open airplane member in Tennessee, for example, that has a 172 available for rent. You don't have to go through the whole check ride again. You rent their 172. The same as, like you said. Uh, also a good way to take opportunities to add an airplane by visiting other open airplane sites. So. Yeah. Yeah. So congratulations to Rod and to everybody involved in this program, and we wish it luck. And uh, um, if you're in one of those areas, um, you can go to the website, which is – oh, where I had it a second ago here. Um, I believe it's just Open Airplane. I think it is. Yeah. Open Airplane. Uh, now I've lost it here. Hang on. It's right. I thought it was openairplane.org, but my sticker here just says Open Airplane. Yeah, openairplane.com. Uh, openairplane is one word, dot com. And, uh, and that's where to go and learn more about this. Finally, a uh, shout out to uh, one of our listeners who's a, a regular in the forums. Uh, Ski and Fly Utah is the username he uses in the forums. And he posted recently, he said, New plane. He says, After several years as a partner in a 172, I've taken the plunge. This week I'll be closing as the single owner on a Commander 112. He describes it as a hotshot turbo, turbo normalized aircraft. Aircraft. Oh, very cool! Yeah, so uh, congratulations to Ski and Fly Utah for uh, for uh, taking the leap and getting himself an airplane, and uh, and uh, hope we have, he has a, a lot of fun with this. Uh, yeah, um, I'm trying to read here if he's saying he's coming to Oshkosh, but uh, um, I'm not sure about that. But anyways, congratulations, Ski and Fly, and uh, um, very very cool. We're all jealous. All right, I think that's it. Anybody else stick a fork in it? Yeah, one thirty second. Sure. Although the last time you said 30 seconds, it turned into two minutes. Write, write, write your congressman, write your senator. Tell them it's time to rein in the Customs and Border Protection, that flying an airplane, a private airplane, is not a crime, and it doesn't qualify to make you a target for unlimited search and holding at gunpoint at airports. Enough of that bullshit. Okay, that's a, yeah, and that's a big story. Maybe it deserves more than a shout out. Maybe we should talk about it sometime in the future. Um, it's a, it's a troubling That'll thing. That'll get them started. They yeah. know about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll put some put some links in the show notes if you care to read more about it. If you're not already familiar. Okay, definitely time to stick a fork in it. Uh, Al. 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 Jeb Burnside is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, you've been working on any interesting stories that you want to tell us about? Uh, Oh, I had a very good uh, interview um, with an incoming board member for the AEA. His name is Brian Wilson, um, and uh, that'll appear in in uh, AEA's Avionics News. I'm guessing their August issue. Okay, uh, I had a lot of fun with that. It was it was great to get to. I, I at one level or another, I've interviewed each of their um, uh, board members over the last two or three years, um, going back a ways anyway. And uh, it's, been, it's been a really fun project to work with EAA on that. I mean, I'm sorry, AEA uh, on that project, and um, you know, meet and get to know all of their board members. A lot of lot of uh, interesting backgrounds, uh, a lot of interesting ways that they've come to this thing we call aviation, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. Sounds interesting. What's the name of the publication? Um, Avionics News. Mm-hmm. It's published by the Aircraft Electronics Associations. Uh, AEA.net. Yeah. And in general, where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a great place to start. Uh, JEBurnside.com, although it's sorely in need of an update. And uh, I'm on Facebook and the Twitter machine. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? When I'm the power's checking. working. I'm when, just in- checking on that. Uh, what have I been working on? Uh, <laughs> let's see. Working on getting ready for Oshkosh. I just got a piece out in the July issue of Air Transport World that takes a look at the uh, the very different uh, cost and ownership uh, burdens uh, between twin turboprops and single-engine turboprops and what you might want to take into account before moving into a twin if really all you need is a single. Cool. And in general, where can people find you on the internet? Find you oh, on the av- internet. Avbuyer.com, uh, that uh, avi- avionics news site that Jeb was just citing. <laughs> uh, seems like uh, they, they sound very familiar to me. Uh, if you're an NBAA member, you'll read anonymous stuff someplace, sometimes from me, sometimes maybe. And aviation safety, yeah. by the way. That's right, yes. You have an article in the August issue. There you go. There you go. Right. And by the way, it's not so much that it's anonymous, right? It's just uncredited. It's, they don't do bylines, right? It's uh, right. Or, or yeah, you're not trying to be. It's not like you're using a pseudonym, you know. Or. No, and it's just uh, like doing the work with them. And yeah, it's not a deep dark secret. They just don't byline anybody. Yeah. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 2, The Stories of the People, Places, and Planes of the Oshkosh Fly-In. You can read it on your Kindle device or with the Kindle Reader software on your iPad or other tablet or laptop or desktop computer. Learn more about all of my Kindle ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. You can follow me on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson. And this one's new. Please sign up for the Jack Hodgson uh, one day I'm, I'm going to get more and more brazen about this as time goes on but it's still a little new to me here the Jack Hodgson news email letter uh, e- email newsletter uh, so uh, no more than once a week I'll be sending out information about my publications and uh, UCAP and the other things I've been working on um, there's a link to the subscription form and a lot of other information about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with our show notes and in the forums. Don't forget to check out the rest of the UCAP website. You can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums. You can see who's doing what on the new ratings web page of... You know, you'd think that I'd been easy for you to say. You'd think that I'd been like <laughs> heavily into the maker's mark or something. This Have afternoon. another sip. Of I know. It is you're drinking. And that's just not the case. I I don't understand why I can't talk this afternoon. Uh, see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Go fly, cause time spent flying's not sub it's not subtracted from your lifespan. <laughs> And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. I I can't even think of a comeback from that. I'm sorry. Pass. (laughs) 